We are going to uh, continue our uh, sermon series here in the Gospel of Matthew in our Kingdom series. We've been looking at the different various uh, mentions of the Kingdom of God in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm really excited for this morning. Super short scripture, and we'll see how super short the sermon is this morning. Beginning in verse 14 in chapter 13. Two parables this morning. Each of the kingdom parables. I love the kingdom parables. They're so great. Beginning in verse 14, or 44. It's on page um, 969, if you have the Red Pew Bible. This is a word of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, he sold everything he had, and he bought it. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. So in 1992, in Honks, England... Farmer Peter Watling had lost a hammer in one of the fields in which he worked. He asked his friend Eric Laws, a retired gardener and a metal detectorist, to help him look for it. He was a farmer on leased land. didn't belong to him, but he farmed the land beneath a lease. As Eric scanned the field with his metal detector, he suddenly heard his familiar beeping. Yet his device indicated that much more metal than simply a hammer was beneath the ground. So he started digging, and what surfaced astonished him. Silver spoons started to come up, gold jewelry, hundreds of gold and silver coins. Unsure of the age or just how much more of it lied beneath the ground, He knew that this village he lived in, the village of Honks, and the surrounding areas, this was ancient grounds, uh, leading, you know, people have been living there all the way since the days of the Roman Empire. So laws immediately called the police. The laws actually tell you to do that in England when you find something like this. And they promptly noted the Suffolk Archaeological Unit. Within a single day, the discovery was astonishing. 14,000 plus silver coins, 600 gold coins, dozens of bronze coins, gold jewelry and silver dishes and bowls, um, these exquisitely designed pepper pots and all this more, all this uh, more and more and more. It was later determined that this hoard that he found was from around 400 AD, a very wealthy family living in the final days of the Roman Empire's occupation of Britain, uh, they buried their treasure when the Romans left because they knew invading hordes might be coming and they wanted to keep their treasure safe and it was never touched again. Um, They also found Peter's hammer too when it was over. The British government awarded over a million British pounds. If you count for inflation, it's about four to five million pounds or dollars-ish today. Now, that's a true story. Didn't make it up. Sometimes pastors make up stories. That's a real story. 
But I'm going to try to make up a different version of it to help with our parable this morning. All right? So let's try to imagine that Peter lost his hammer on an abandoned field down the street that just a few days ago had gone up for sale. Um, as he was walking one day, he dropped his hammer somehow and lost it in that field. Just don't ask so many questions. It just, boom, fell out of his pocket. It's over there somewhere. Couldn't find it. And he gets his metal detector. You know where I'm going with this. And he comes across these silver spoons and coins as he's digging the fields for sale. And he realizes, whoa, this, is, this field's for sale for not that much money. There's a treasure here worth far more in this field so he covers it up he goes and he realizes i gotta sell everything i have to be able to afford this field but boy what's in this field is far you know more value than all of my stuff so he sells everything he owns and he buys this field so what then would be the motive for a person to be willing to actually sell everything for that field that contains a buried treasure? Is it because the field is great? No, right? That's not really his motive. Is it because that he no longer wanted his stuff? Well, of course not. It is because that he found something of such incredible value that he evaluated what he had and he compared it to the opportunity before him to buy the field and receive so much more than just a field, but a treasure worth 10 times more than anything he owned. Now, this is a parable of Christ, of course. This is not trying to tell us to go out and search for buried treasure or some kind of scratched winning, you know, lottery ticket laying on the curb somewhere in the city here so we make it, make it rich. This isn't the point of the parable. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, and this is how we are to read it. It is like something so valuable that nothing you have or could own compares to what you will receive by buying that field. Now, in the parable of the hidden treasure, all right, the idea seems like the guy's getting a really good deal, right? right? Uh, it's a, it's a um, little bit of land that's maybe worth X amount of money, but he's receiving a lot more money than he paid for that field. So, you know, it's like, good job, good deal. You did well for your investment, but that's not really quite the meaning because the following parable opens it up a little more for us with this parable of the pearl of great value. The pearl is assumed to be paid for for its actual value, right? Listen what it says. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, what did he do? He went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. It's presumed that he actually paid that value for the pearl. Right? So what we actually see in the second short parable is that he, he, wasn't, he received more than just a pearl, if you get what I'm saying. He received something that the depths of his soul longed for. He received something that he himself valued so much more than anything and everything that he had. And he says, I got to have that pearl, even if it costs me everything to get it so you see that these parables this is more of a parable of value and when we talk about value we start falling into questions of 
meaning, questions of purpose as humans, questions of why, and we're going to talk about this as we proceed forward. I want to talk about um, how we think about value, all right, because there's different kinds of values, and I want to try to get to the bottom of what Jesus is presenting to us this morning. We, we experience valuation in our lives in different ways, all right? Like, for example, here's one way um, that we, we, when we value certain things, oftentimes the value exceeds what it's worth, what the money, you know, what it's, what it's the, the, the monetary value of it. Um, an example of this is sentimental value, all right? We have hanging in our wall. We've had it for hanging in our wall for years. This painting is a painting by a local artist, I think, in North Jersey. He's not famous. It's not worth a lot of money. But this painting was hanging in my wife's grandmother's home who passed away around 14 or 15 years ago. When she passed away, it was passed on to us. Right? She remembers seeing that painting when she was a child. And it's a bright painting with flowers, almost as like a Van Gogh feel to it. It's beautiful. And it's been in our house uh, as long as I can remember in our marriage. Now, her value for that exceeds the monetary value. Even my neighbors wouldn't have the same value for it because for her, this belonged to her grandmother. Right? So the value exceeds that of what it's worth. But to go larger... We have other things that we also value in life. That car that might get you back and forth to your job is a certain value to your car. Um, it's means to an end, ultimately gets you to where you need to go and back. I drive a 2007 Honda Accord with the paint chipping off. It almost looks like a racing stripes if you like look close. Not really, actually at all. It almost has 170,000 miles on it. My wife tells me it smells weird, all right? But yesterday, I saw a car drive by in my neighborhood that was one of those exotic, you know, $100,000 cars that drove by. Um, that car is more than just your commuter car, right? It represents somebody's got a lot of money. Somebody maybe has status or something that their money has. It represents a little bit more value than my little 2007 Honda may represent, Right? But there's also the value of something, you know, say you built yourself. I built a workbench for my son James. Don't, you know, push it too hard. It's a little wobbly. But it is functional, and it means something because, you know, I put my blood, sweat. I didn't, no tears, I don't think, but I, I did put a little bit of blood and sweat in there to build it, and he values it because his dad built it for him, right? But at the end of the day, all those things I just mentioned, if that painting gets destroyed in our house, oh, that'd be a bummer. But life would move on. If my son's workbench fell apart one day, I wouldn't be super surprised, and life would go on. If my Honda's motor seized up, that would stink, but there's a lot of 15-year-old cars out there that I could buy with racing stripes down the middle. But there are certain things in life that we value so much to go farther beyond, which is I'm going to get to the heart of what Christ is talking about this morning. There are certain things in life that we value so much that we are perhaps willing to lose everything if we could only keep that one thing. Back to a car analogy, imagine, imagine there's a car accident and the people you love most is in that car. They walk out unscathed, unharmed, but the car is destroyed. Well, who cares about the car? There's a lot more of those around. 
but they're fine. Suddenly there's a values system that surfaces there, right? The car isn't worth anything compared to the loved ones that survived that. Their value far exceeds the value of a vehicle. And now we're getting closer, I think, to what Jesus wants us to consider. Is there something of value in our lives that if we lost everything but still had that one thing that we would remain fulfilled, content, and still have hope for tomorrow? That even if we were momentarily just kind of bummed that we lost what we lost, but we would still be able to look forward to tomorrow because of what we had left. This is something I want you to consider this morning as we continue on is what do you ultimately value in your life? Because at its core, what we value is what we ultimately live for. The things you value receive the devotion and allegiance of your heart, of your mind, and also of your actions. Look at how I live. Look at my habits. Look at where and how I spend my money. We just went to uh, Kennett Square yesterday because we had no kids this weekend. We didn't know what to do with ourselves. So we went to Kennett Square. And if you know my wife and I, we went there because there's a used bookstore there. And we're like, we're not going to spend any money. We're just going to look at books. Yeah, right. Um, we value that, right? L- look at where you spend your money. If I were to look at your check register, I'll be able to surface the things you value, right? Whatever we value in life, it, it, it brings us, at least sometimes we think or we are looking for things like happiness and joy, and we convince ourselves that if we were to aim our lives in the direction of those things that we value, if we were to have more of what we value, then we would find fulfillment of the longing of our souls. Dallas Willard, a famous author who uh, wrote about these parables, he said that when you consider what Jesus is teaching here, he's really kind of asking an implicit question. Some of the parables are great. He's always doing that, right? When Jesus arrived on the scene, read the Gospels. This is, he, he preached a message that the kingdom of God, that heaven is in breaking into this world upon his coming. He preached a message in saying this, there is no other important message that's superior to the one that I'm preaching. There is nothing else in our human existence that can compare with my message. This is the kind of way that Jesus spoke of what he preached and what he was doing. He was making claims that he was sent by God to preach this message. He said things that were pointing us to think like human history itself had been turning in such a way to point towards the moment of his arrival. And with parables like this, we see that finding and accepting and entering into the kingdom of God would provide so much meaning and fulfillment in life that if you only just truly understood what he was preaching, only truly understand the idea of heaven and breaking into earth through him and through his ministry, that you would say, wow, how can I get that? How can I be a part of that? How can I receive that? Because if this message is true, there is nothing in my life that compares to receiving this good news that the kingdom, that heaven, is in breaking into earth even now. That the very power of God, the very access to God, salvation in Christ and the forgiveness of sins and his very presence is available for me 
today. Willard then says that often as we see this pearl of great price, that even if we know, like it's there, we just can reach out and grab it, we suddenly realize that what we have here and uh, are currently trying to find such ultimate value, right? We, we see this thing of value. We know that it's called to say, if you look at Christ's teaching, he, he says you, you have to have, you're all in or you're all out. There's no straddling the fence. If, if you want what I'm offering you, I'm asking for all of you. And we, we hear the message. You say, yeah, Jesus, I, I, I want to do that. But as you get closer, you realize you start thinking about the things that you may have to possibly renounce or possibly turn from or possibly reconsider your devotion to and you're like uh, actually wait give, give me a little bit i have a i have a couple of questions i i, I just i'll come tomorrow maybe just hold on just give me a few minutes i got to rethink some of this this kind of thing happened often in jesus's ministry when he called people to follow him they're like yeah i mean hold on wait We'll look at some of these examples. Mark chapter 10, famous example. We have a story of a rich young ruler. That's what he was called. We don't have his name. He approached Jesus and he said, Jesus, I hear, I hear my southernness come out there. Jesus, sorry. He says, I want to receive eternal life. And that was a present tense, like today. He's like, I want to receive the fullness of life. Like, I hear your message. I want the fullness of life. I want the life of heaven, the, the joy that you're taught. I want it now. Jesus, what must I do to receive meaning and purpose and life at its best and full? Lord, what must I do to receive the eternal life you're talking about, that pearl of great price? As the master Jesus, uh, teacher that Jesus is, he enters the conversation and he starts where you may think religion would start, right? He basically says, oh, just keep the commandments. Be a good person. Do what the Bible says, right? Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery and so forth. We'll have it behind us here in verse 20 of Mark 10. The story continues on with the young man's response. The man said to him, said to Jesus, he says, Teacher, I have wholeheartedly obeyed all of these laws since my youth. In other words, I've been a good boy, Jesus. Look, I, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't stole anything. I've done my best. I've kept all the religious laws. I'm good here. And Jesus looked at him. This is important here. It says that he felt love for him. Sometimes loving somebody means saying the hardest thing that they need to hear. Sometimes that's the most loving thing to do, Right? He felt love for him. He looked into his heart, being God in the flesh, and he said, there's still one thing you lack. Go and sell whatever you have and give the money to the poor, and then you're going to have real treasure in heaven. And then come and you can follow me. But at this statement, the man looked sad, and he went away sorrowful because he was very rich. For this man, his hesitancy, he was all willing to be all in, right? And Jesus is like, ah, there's something else that you're all in right now too. And I'm asking for all of you, so you got to turn your back on that. Are you willing to do that? And ultimately he said, no, right? Now, you know, this is an easy message to preach. We live in a, the, the world's most materialistic and consumeristic culture in human history, 
right? Yes, we know that we shouldn't value our stuff as if our stuff can bring us to ultimate joy, right? We know we verbalize that. Sometimes we still act like it, right? I know in some way we all struggle with this. Our nation indeed wants us to consider all of our lives as finding value and purpose in the things that we buy and finding deep joy in the experience of buying. I shared this in my small group, but research, if you look at the the origin of uh, shopping malls, do you know where they modeled the shopping mall after in terms of like how they built it, the architecture? After cathedrals. Because they wanted the shopping mall experience to be a worshipful experience. That's how you walk into a shopping mall. Just look up and you'll see a big high dome just like our ceiling here. They knew what they were doing, right? They wanted you to enter into like, this is worship. I'm going to get so much joy from walking around and going to these stores. But however, let's talk about other things Jesus specifically mentioned that other people would have to consider because at the end of the day, it wasn't the same thing, right? The response of this great pearl of what you might have to turn from is different for all of us, and that Jesus spoke differently to different people when they wanted to follow him. Um, let's look at some other examples here. One thing that he mentioned a couple of times, actually, was that following him to grab that pearl of great price, it just may cost you things like your house, your lifestyle. You may even be called to leave the geographical place where you live. Here's an example. Matthew 8, verse 18 through 22. There's a big crowd around him. Jesus is walking. There's a huge crowd around him. And he gave orders to go to the other side. A scribe came up and said, Jesus, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, normally... Like, if you're in a church, this morning walks up and is like, I want to follow Jesus. I want to do anything that I possibly can. It's like a, a time to, to comfort and be like, this is awesome. Yeah, good. Like, this is w- what I want to hear. But this, Jesus responds saying, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man himself, Jesus, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, I don't even have a house, man. Like, what, what are you willing to do to follow me? What cost may come? Are, are you willing to do that? We don't know the guy's response, right? So the question is, do you value Wilmington, Delaware so much that if you were called to move by God to Roosterville, Georgia, it's a real place, by the way, it's like one traffic light long, but I'm telling you it's real. It's like eight people that live there. Do you value Wilmington, Delaware so much that if you turn and chase after Jesus and he said, I want you to pick up and sell everything, I want you to move over here, I have work for you to do over there, would you be willing to walk away even if your family is here, right? There's, there's cost, there's, to get that pearl, there may be things you have to turn. There's more here. What about the lifestyle of Jesus? Roaming around, not really owning anything, living a life of general poverty for the sake of the kingdom. What if Jesus called you? to do that. Many missionaries who live abroad live that kind of lifestyle. He had nowhere to lay his head. I want you to think about that. That is how Jesus responded to someone saying, I want to follow you. We don't know who that somebody was, but apparently that's what they needed to hear, and maybe some of you. A second thing is even harder. There's many things I could talk about. I'm just looking at these two things. This is even harder. He may ask you to renounce your family. Say like, what? Hold up. Yeah, listen, this is hard. This is hard stuff from Jesus here. Verse 21, 22. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go. First go and bury my father. 
In other words, I'm going to follow you, but I've got one more thing to do. I've got to bury my father. People don't know if that literally means his father just passed away or if his father was close. He had to kind of get the house in order before he walked away. We don't really exactly know. But he's like, I'm willing to go. I've got one more thing left to do. And what did Jesus say? Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. You're like, that's harsh, Jesus. Like, come on. That's a harsh teaching. What, what, do you, what are you really saying to him? Let him mourn. Let him have his funeral. Like, let him get his, why this? What is this? Right? He said it in a different way, which sounds even more intense in Luke 14, 25 through 26. He says, now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to the crowds, which by the way, Jesus was not, uh, he, he didn't um, preach easy, you know, if there's usually a crowd in the church, you want to maybe try to maintain the crowd, I don't know. Uh, Jesus didn't really want to do that. Like, he seemed like he often wanted to, like, chase the crowd away. Uh, and he does that here, right? There's a crowd. It's like, time to tell him something great to keep him there. And Jesus is like, actually, I'm going to say this. If anyone wants to come after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If I was in the crowd, to be like, yeah, I'm out of here, Right? What? I don't want to soften these words because it's a hard pill to swallow. Here's what I don't believe Jesus is teaching, that you are free to abandon your family for the sake of the gospel. It's okay to actually have hatred for your family, just love me. Paul said elsewhere that if you don't provide for your own house, then you're worse even than an unbeliever. What Jesus is really saying in exaggerated form to kind of get our attention, which it certainly does, he's saying this, your love and value for me must be so intense and so great that it far, far exceeds your love for your own family. This is quite a claim for a teacher to make. Like, who does he think he is, right? If this came from an ordinary person, you're like, you're nuts. You're certifiably crazy if that's how you want me to respond to you. But if he was God in the flesh, as we saw last week, right? He who has ears, let him hear. Look for the guy who found that field and the guy who found that pearl of a great price what we can describe here is almost like he, he, there was a revelation that happened in this man's life, okay? A revelation that upon learning about that treasure and that pearl of great price, that everything else in his life just suddenly dramatically plummeted, just like our dollar apparently is right now, right? <laughs> Inflation, crazy, I know. Everything else just, just plummeted in value when he saw that pearl. It's like nothing compares to this. I got to have that. Nothing else compares. And there's a secret of our faith, of Christianity, that lies right in this conversation. I want you to consider this. Now imagine if you went and asked that guy who sold everything he had to buy that field or the merchant who got rid of everything just to pay full price for that pearl so he can just have it and just look at it like my precious, right? Just have that. Imagine if you went to that guy and you're like, really? Like Everything? That must have been hard. That must have been challenging. You mean you sold everything you had to get that one single pearl? How hard and difficult must that have been? I think the answer would have been like, the guy would have been like, 
what are you talking about? Like, are you kidding me? Look at this pearl. Like, look what I have. This is the greatest, most valuable pearl I've ever seen in my life. It was with joy. The guy, if you paid attention and read it closely, it was with joy that the guy sold all that he had to go and buy that field. He did it joyfully. So whatever it takes to get this field, like I'm happy. I am so happy to do whatever it takes because now I have this treasure. And then it doesn't matter how hard things were. It doesn't matter how challenging things can be. We know these are just parables, right? We know we're not ultimately talking about money and treasure here. The, por- the point is not the pearl. The point is the value and the joy the man had for that treasure and the pearl. We can say confidently that we do have some- something so much better than a pearl. We have something so much better than 1,600-year-old Roman treasure that we dug up, you know, somebody dug up in somebody's field. We have access I want you to, like, you may have heard this a thousand times, but I really don't care. We have access to the incarnate God of the universe who took on skin and bones and flesh himself and who gave his life up for you and I in grace upon grace upon grace. Bottomless grace has just lavished you with mercy and the forgiveness of sins and has actually sent his spirit to, like, the spirit of God to really dwell like inside of you to where every step that you take you were actually taking God with you you have become the temple of God in this world as you then are equipped to share this good news and to show and demonstrate the good news of the kingdom with those around you and therefore if you understand the message of the gospel correctly if you truly grab that pearl of great value and you find that treasure in the field an easy way to sum it up is this you just found your freedom Let me explain what I mean. You just discovered your freedom. Paul said it this way. For it was freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Finding that pearl of Jesus and receiving his kingdom is like receiving that get-out-of-jail monopoly card. The chains, the attachment to anything in this world, they start falling off. I want you to think about this. These two guys sold everything. They had nothing left. They became free. There was a freedom that you're watching there in this parable. They became free from everything else and any devotion to anything else when they found Jesus, when they found this pearl and received his kingdom. Now I want you to imagine this. Imagine a life where you no longer enslaved to your passions, enslaved to your desires, enslaved to the empty work of trying to prove yourself to others and family through achievements in life. Or consider being free from the need to constantly compare yourself with others and try to compete and outdo them if you are to find value in your own self or chasing after lustful desires of if I only had this man or this woman and I shared an intimate experience with another, then I would be fulfilled. Consider being free from such a restless life of bouncing from this place to that, looking for the green grass that is always just evading you on the other side. Or that friend circle to that friend circle, jumping around from relationship to this one and this, on this never-ending search for meaning or imagine being free from all of those things and knowing that Jesus flips it all upside down. That rather than trying to find ultimate fulfillment in your work, you realize that you were gifted 
that job. It was a gift from God that you get to enjoy now for his glory and for the good of those that you work for. Imagine rather than needing that 10th pair of shoes to line up in your closet, they get to buy that pair of shoes and give it to those who have none. As Ephesians 4.28 says, to labor the honest work with your hands in order that you may have something to share with those in need because you're free from needing more stuff to find more meaning and joy and happiness. And you're free to then share generously, just like Jesus shared himself with us. Everything then becomes a means to an end of loving God and loving your neighbor. And if, it were, if all that stuff was taken away from you, you would still be standing because you still have that pearl of great price. And you could even be standing with joy. Yes, finding that pearl of great price and the treasure of this kingdom means that if you are stripped away of everything, you can still have joy. Even in the midst of struggle and hardship and heartache and the suffering that we all experience in this world, we can still find ourselves with that pearl and that treasure to be able to say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to give you a story to close in our time this morning. A remarkable story. There's some pictures behind me of a woman named Dolores Hart. Um, the first slide here with her and Elvis. Dolores Hart, beautiful young woman in her early 20s, in the 50s, maybe you heard the story, I don't know, that upon trying to enter into Hollywood, right, there was an audition to, I think the story goes, like, there's an audition to star with Elvis, and what, you know, young woman didn't want to do that in the 50s, and like she got it. Out of all the hundreds, she managed to actually get the part. And she did a really good job, right? Very early on, she, she did multiple movies, movies with Elvis, Marlon Brando, some of the biggest names in Hollywood. Her career was destined to skyrocket to become one of the most famous women in all of Hollywood and make her mark on Hollywood movie history. That is, until she met someone else who would change her life forever. I didn't plan this. This is a fun story, though, in light of the Gideons we were just with. As she was on set with Elvis, and they were trying to evade the paparazzi and all that, and they go into this hotel room in between filming, what does Elvis grab? A Gideon Bible. And he pulls it out with Dolores, and they're reading it together, and he says, what do you think about this stuff? What do you think about the Bible? What do you think about Christianity? And this is what, something kind of stirred, this is what she said. When we were making Creole, 1958, she said, uh, Elvis had so many people after him, he couldn't walk through the streets of New Orleans. It was like a circus. You would not believe the crowds. Policemen were everywhere. We had to go to hotel rooms to wait in between scenes. When we finally got to the site, we were ushered into the elevator and the hotel's rooms. Uh, we crossed over to another hotel. We finally sat down. They brought us food, and Elvis would always open up a Gideon Bible as that was a version placed in hotel rooms, whatever passage you'd open it to, we would talk about it. And you would ask me, what do you think? In the following years, her interest in scripture and Jesus continued and continued to increase. When four years later, at the absolute height of her career, as she was questioning what her true calling was in life, as the world valued her so much, and you would think, oh, she has the pearl of great price. She's famous, she's blah, 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 right? She was engaged to a famous guy. She breaks off the engagement to this famous man 
And she decides to marry someone else and literally renounce everything. The next picture here is of Dolores Hart with a wedding dress on as she became a nun. She walked into this cloister with her wedding dress saying, I'm marrying Jesus today. She's still there. She's in her 80s today. She renounced her career. She turned her back on it all because she met Jesus. As shown in the documentary, God is Bigger Than Elvis, which documents her story, Dolores wound up using her love for theater in the cloister to help young people learn how to glorify God through acting. She opened up an education ministry to help young people understand what their calling is in life. I share this story to to show you an example of somebody who truly found that pearl of a great price. It truly cost her everything, but then she received everything. If you watch interviews of her today, she is so, she's such a joyful, influential woman with all the people who have ever met her. As I share this story, it's a dramatic example, I know, but I, the call that I have for you, the question I have for you this morning is this. Is Jesus truly, truly your pearl of value? Does he own your heart? Does he own all the affection and desires and passions within you? Do you treasure him more than all in this life? Because I'm telling you, if you treasure something else and you go all in on anything in this world, it will eat you alive. You will not survive if you dive in deep into anything else looking for fulfillment. It will chew you up and it will spit you out. And Jesus is saying, turn, like renounce those things. Like the word renounce in Luke 14, 33, I think it says, Jesus says, you must renounce everything to be my disciple right? What, what, what that word renounce is doesn't necessarily mean get rid of everything. It means lose interest in it. It just means to devalue it. You're just like, I don't really care about this stuff anymore. I got Jesus. This stuff is fine, whatever. I don't know. I'm willing to give it all away or share it, be generous. It doesn't really it doesn't have my heartstrings anymore because I got my pearl, a great value. That is the call of us Jesus followers this morning. So as we close, what we have is we have ministry time that takes place here. We'll call the worship team up. Um, we're going to have people available for prayer during the music and after. Um, if there's anything that you're sitting here and you stirred in your heart, if you're a, a first time uh, uh, kind of or still new to this whole church thing and you're here this morning and your heart's stirring within you and you're like, I, I, I kind of want to be a Jesus follower. Like, I, I want a piece of this. Like, how do, what do I do? Like, please come up and talk to me. Like, I would absolutely love to sit and just hear you out and just answer whatever questions and pray for you. Pray for you. Because even this morning, like you could actually decide to become a Jesus follower and experience these things and experience what it feels to actually have this in your life even this morning. If you need healing, if you need help to just turn from sin and repentance in your life, all of these things are available to you this morning if you will be willing to come and to receive prayer. And so um, they're gonna play a song. People will be available for prayer. If your heart's stirring, please come up. And um, let me just close this time in prayer. Um, Jesus, Lord, I pray that whatever work you, you've done, uh, hopefully my words are just accurate. Representation of scripture this morning. Representation of your heart. Holy Spirit, I ask that whatever work you just may have done in people's hearts this morning, Lord, increase it, like even right now, Lord. Let that voice that maybe just in somebody's mind that they're just trying to stuff down to avoid a response, Lord, 
boom your voice, Lord, to where a response is only what they, what they feel they have to do this morning, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would remove our heartstrings from things in this world that will only destroy, will only steal from us and chew us up and leave us empty. Lord, help us. Give us eyes to see you as that pearl of value, Lord. That then all that we have, our, our friends and our families and our jobs and all these things, Lord, as much as we love them and they're gifts to us, that we will learn that we don't worship these things, Lord. That they're not our saviors, but you are, Lord. Help us know what it means to truly be known by you and to be loved by you, Lord. You are that pearl, Jesus. And help us to see you as such this morning. We love you so much. Lord, we thank you for the good news, Lord. Because there's millions of people just on the hunt for meaning right now, Lord, even in this room. And Lord, without the good news, I could not fathom how to think about my life, that you are real and that you love us, that you are still with us today, that you still want to work in our hearts. You want to restore our humanity, Lord, and, and, how, and what it means to, to know you and to love you, Lord. I, I wouldn't know what to do without that good news, Lord. And so we, we, we thank you for your life and your death and your resurrection. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.